Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. Well, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the kind words, Russ. Um, And there's something about coming out from the back, from the curtains, just making me more nervous. Um, But yeah, today we're continuing on our series on lies we love and how they're killing us. And today, I don't know why, but maybe Russell thinks I'm a person of conflict, Um, but I'm going to be talking about conflict today and how conflict is an unhealthy sign, that, that the lie is that conflict is always this negative, painful part of our lives that we can never avoid, right? Because I think conflict is all around us. And, you know, I I think being in a city with just all these people just kind of crammed in together, there's moments of conflict waiting to happen. It's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And so as we're thinking through this idea of conflict, I do want to ask a question. How do you respond to moments of conflict and tension? Because every single one of us here has a different response. It may fall under two categories of fight or flight. Um, Some of us here, just instinct is, I'm going to fight you, right? Tooth and nail, I'm going to voice my opinion, right? I am not backing down from anyone. And that can come from a whole different variety of, you know, family background. You know, there was a part of my life where I was like that. Like, I just couldn't, I refused to back down because... I was always looked down upon and bullied. So I realized, you know, if I'm just loud, people will back off. So I thought, right? Some of us have that kind of fight mentality where we just either we become very argumentative, we've become very good with our words, um, we have outbursts, right? However it manifests, we have this kind of fight mentality, right? Once conflict arises. Um, And some of us, we just have the flight, right? it leads, you know, it leads to a lot of stress and anxiety, right? We just neglect it. We, we hope that if we don't think about it, if we avoid that individual, if we avoid that topic, right, all is going to end up well. But, late, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but I can stay up all night replaying that role over and over and over again, causing deeper anxiety, loss of sleep, and more stress. And some of us will go through extreme measures to avoid conflict, right? Avoiding eye contact. There are certain places we won't go into, right? Certain things that we'll never talk about because we're afraid of conflict. And so I began to think, why is conflict so offensive? Right? How do we, how do we respond to moments of tension? How do we respond to moments of being in, being in an argument? And there's different levels of conflict, right? There's a kind of like this global scale conflict. There's the, you know, relational aspect. There's the workspace. But I realize conflict, for me at least, is offensive because it's a disturbance of my peace. There's something that's being challenged where I now feel uncomfortable. And the odd thing is, so I asked my wife last night, uh, jokingly while we were in bed, I said, hey, is it okay if I share stories of us? Right, because when I think of conflict, I immediately went to marriage. Right, not that our marriage is bad or anything like that, but I, I I went into a relationship thinking, you know what, I am so healthy, so emotionally healthy, there will never be any conflict. Right, and I realized 
that's a dream far gone. So I asked her, can I share stories of conflicts between, between us? You know, because I don't want to just be sharing these things. And she's sitting there being like, why are you sharing this? So I asked her permission. And surprisingly, without hesitation, she said, sure, go ahead. And at that moment, I realized this is a trap. <laughs> it's one of those, I dare you. <laughs> and then I began to wonder in my head, why is she so casual about this? So I asked her and she said, because it's almost always your fault. <laughs> and I realized at that moment, she's taking zero culpability for any arguments. And I want to say she's probably right. So I'm not going to incriminate myself by sharing those stories. But what I will say is any form of conflict is a challenge and a disturbance of our comfort. Right? It's, it's a challenge and a, and, and a, and a, and a poke at our identity. And we're gonna t I'm gonna talk a little bit about why it's so sensitive and so internal to us because a lot of times when we think of conflict, we think of external circumstances. We think of things that are happening to us, right? Kind of like that victim mentality. And most of the times you could be absolutely right. And I'm not talking about conflict when we're in the wrong, but also when, we're in the, when we believe that we, ha we have the truth. We have the right of way. And I'm not standing here as a, you know, conflict resolution consultant. I'm not a professional at this, Christy will tell you. Um, I'm standing here just sharing how Jesus has presented himself as the mediator of all conflicts. And how Jesus have, he has used moments of conflict to pursue growth and to pursue wisdom in my life. And I do want to say that I don't want us to ever feel guilty or ashamed about how we respond to conflict. Um, one of my favorite things to watch are public freakout videos. If you don't know what they are, go YouTube them afterwards. You'll be lost in the YouTube world for about a good hour and a half. And it's essentially a video compilation of people just losing their minds over the smallest things. Right? Like McDonald's did not get their order right. And they're like essentially just throwing the bag at the drive-through, um, and it's all recorded. I love this day and age. Um, and a lot of times, I had moments where like I had maybe a public freakout, and I go home. I'm like, I'm so ashamed of myself, right? Like that's not how I should behave, right? And people, you know, and there's always that kind, like that kind of like undertone, like, well, you're a pastor, right? You should be kind to everyone. Let me tell you the truth. We have a lot of pent-up anger and frustration of extending grace all the time, <laughs> all right? Um, so we're people too. <laughs> and the, the reality is even in a quote-unquote church setting, right, we assume that with Christians, it's all love and peace. There are no conflicts. That is the biggest thing from the truth because we're people. We're broken and we're fallen. And we have painful histories. We have... Different, different point of views, right? We have different philosophies. And conflict is a, it's a, a situation that's awaiting. But I don't want any of us to ever feel guilty or ashamed of not maybe speaking out when we should have. When we, sh you know, those moments where I should have stood up for myself. Right? Those moments where there's just like, we have clenched fists, but we're afraid to say something. There's nothing wrong with that because the thing about conflict is there's so many layers to it. 
there's, there's deep, deep layers. Even if it's just two people involved, right? I mean, I'm, forget about like global conflicts or political conflicts, but even if it's a relational conflict, you have two different family histories. You have two different backgrounds of how they, how they grew up and what culture they grew up, how they were raised. So when two people get together, there's, it's bound to happen. And see, a lot of times we think of it as an external thing. Why is this happening to me? Why are you saying this to me? But Jesus does this very unique thing where he uses conflict in a way that internalizes it for us. Jesus uses conflict in a way where we need to take a step back and examine our hearts. Because so many times we try to rationalize the other individual. I don't know if you ever had moments like that, where like you try to have room for understanding. Well, that person would say something like that because they just don't know better, any better. That person would behave that way because, you know, A, B, and C. Or that person responds to situations like that, or they get defensive like that because, and we try to externalize the situations of conflict. But Jesus does this very unique thing, and you'll see it in um, Mark 10, chapter 10, verse 17 to 22. See, the reason why conflict is not always a bad thing is because conflict can be an opportunity and a moment where God demonstrates very, something very unique to us. It's a way he unmasks our hearts. So in this passage, Jesus started on his way and a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So there's, there's a couple of things to recognize in that, one, in that one sentence he says, good teacher. So he recognizes that Jesus knows the law. He knows how to inherit eternal life. He recognizes Jesus as this authority, as this teacher, as someone of wisdom. And he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's another whole existential question that we can <laughs> spend another whole day on. But then Jesus answers back with a question, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And he recites the commandments. And he says, you already know this. You shall not murder, you shall not, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And here is where Jesus injects conflict. For us to look at the Bible and not recognize any form of conflict is to miss the big picture of why Jesus came of why Jesus and our relationship with him is necessary. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you had and give, have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I'm not bringing up this passage because of, because of money. The commission here isn't to, all right, now leave and go sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And here, a lot of times, we recognize this passage and be like, this is, see, see what Jesus talks about money? You're not supposed to have money. You're not supposed to have wealth. You're supposed to give, give, give. But the important thing to recognize here is Jesus is not attacking the man's wealth. He's approaching his heart. 
he's creating a conflict in his heart. This man approached Jesus and, and kind of had this like hint of, I want to know how to inherit eternal life. But I also want to be able to keep on doing the things I do and hold on to the things that I love. And Jesus says, go sell it all. He creates conflict. Because through this moment of conflict, this man's heart is unmasked. Through this moment of conflict, he reveals the nature of his heart. He really shows what is the dearest thing to him. And it's a, it's a concept of, and God forbid, and you know, tragedies like this, I hope it never happens to anybody here or anybody at all. But if your house is burning down and you're only allowed to grab one thing, in that moment of conflict, your heart is revealed. What will you go for? And some of us are calculating. And it's like, there's just too many things, <laughs> right? Um, some of us are one of those people that just, you know, does risk analysis for everything. And we have an exit plan for all these moments. <laughs> I'm gonna grab this, this, and this, <laughs> right? I strategize everything from, my, from where I am to the exit. <laughs> but if we were only allowed to grab one thing, right? Just think about that. In that moment of conflict, it's revealed what we love. And the message of Jesus will always bring conflict to our hearts. It should. Yes, there are, there are moments where the message of Jesus and the words that he speaks will bring comfort and affirmation to our hearts. It will bring peace. But most often than not, when Jesus spoke, whoever listened, there was a dramatic change in their life. This man, in the moment of conflict, he fled. He said he went away sad because he had great wealth, right? Those two, two lines should not go together, right? If, it, right? if you have great wealth, you should not walk away sad. If you won the lottery, you don't walk away downcast. But this man knew that he didn't want Jesus more than his wealth. The message of Jesus will always bring conflict. It will bring conflict to the self-righteous. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks to the self-righteous individuals, the people who thought they had a moral high ground above everybody else because they lived, quote-unquote, good and better lives. It created some, so much turmoil and conflict that they plotted to kill him. They, they created a plan to dismiss him, to slander him. It brought conflict to the self-righteous. And this is something I'm struggling with. That in moments where I feel like Jesus, I feel like I cast, casted away all of my like, you know, religious thinking, right? My institutional thinking. And I'm like, I just want you, Jesus. Or I just want a relationship with you. You're all that I want, right? And I'm not going to impose my judgmental status on all these other people. And then I realize I become self-righteous about the self-righteous. And then Jesus injects truth into my heart and says, but look at you. Look at your heart. Look at the people you're judging and look at the people you're looking down on. You're still looking down on people. It creates conflict. It creates conflict for those who do not believe. Because even in the times of Jesus' ministry, people would witness miracles of people bringing, uh, being brought back from death, the sick being healed. Miracles. And those who did not believe the skeptics, 
those on the fringes, it brought conflict to their heart. It had to. Even in the end, even if they concluded, I don't believe in this, they witnessed it. And that has to create tension in the heart. It creates conflict for the marginalized. It creates conflict for those who are on the outskirts, who are not seen, who are not loved. It creates conflict because it says that they are seen, that they are loved. And see, that's confusing because in a, in a society, in a community where we're not appreciated, when we're not affirmed, when we're rejected, it's hard to believe that somebody loves us. In a place where we can't even receive love from our family sometimes, where we're ignored and neglected, it creates conflict in our heart when Jesus comes in and says, I see you. It's his way of disturbing the status of our peace. And, you know, we think that maybe Jesus is just doing this because he's bored, right? God is just like, all right, I need, I need some fun stuff to do, right? So he kind of messes with us. He disturbs our peace. Like, why can't we just live a normal, peaceful life? God, just let us live without suffering, without worries, without anxiety, without bills, without worrying about the next day. Let me just live like that. Just give me all the provisions I need so I can live like that. See, Jesus isn't just cruel. God is not cruel and say, let me just disturb you so I can bother you and make you feel uncomfortable. Let me take things away so that I can make you experience pain. See, that's not God's intention. But as a quote by C.S. Lewis, Lewis, he says, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. That is a very bold statement. That there is no such thing as peace and happiness apart from God. And I think this line, this statement is challenging because we need to come to a conclusion that even if Jesus gave us the entire world, it would not buy happiness. It would not buy peace. It will be just a band-aid over our conflict. Because at the end of the day, like I talked about in the beginning, it's not about the external conflict that we're struggling with. Honestly, I think the biggest conflict we deal with is an internal conflict. And I don't know if you ever experienced that, the, the warring of our spirit, the way we see ourselves, the way we desire love, the way that we need materialistic possessions, the way we need things to soothe our hearts, the things that we need to do and to consume so it can numb us, right? Just so that we can get through the day without worrying about something. But even if God gave us the world, and we see that in Mark 10, this man was wealthy, and you think wealth will buy happiness and peace. But clearly, he's looking for something greater. Why would a wealthy man ask, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If life is so good right now, why would he wonder about that question? God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because he is that peace. He is that joy. If if Jesus isn't the remedy to our conflict, there will be no peace. Because in John 14, 27, as Jesus is preparing his departure from his disciples, as he knows what's waiting for him, his crucifixion, his death and punishment, his per- the painful sorrow that he'll carry. 
This he says to his deepest and closest friends. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That is a very bold statement as well. That his peace is different than anything the world would give. Because in moments of conflict, at the end of the day, if you're in a relational conflict or in a workplace conflict, someone loses. I remember um, in middle school, I thought I was so cool because I was a peer mediator. I didn't realize that job went to those kids who are lonely and outcasted. But I was a peer mediator, all right? And if you're saying, hey, wait, I was a peer mediator too. Join the club, all right? Now you're aware. I'm injecting some conflict, okay? I was a peer mediator, and what that meant was I would scout out all the, all the problems that are happening between my fellow classmates, right? So if I saw two people arguing, it was my job to mediate that. And I remember the first day our dean, and it was weird that our dean was training the peer mediators, but our dean told us someone will lose. I was like, that is a very profound thing to tell a middle school student. <laughs> that even in the midst of mediation, right, there's compromise. No one is getting everything that they want. Because if they do, someone's going to lose, right? And then now there's all these consulting places and magazines that talk about how to conflict, how to create conflict resolution, how to create productivity and creativity, right, through conflict. There's all these TED Talks on how conflict is the, the ignition to creativity, right? And that can be true. Conflict can create growth. It could force innovation. It could force growth. But there's a loss. But when it comes to Jesus, his peace is different. The peace that he brings into the conflict is different. Because he doesn't demand a deep loss from us. The way he brought about that peace was he met the greatest conflict and tension on that cross. In that moment where he was hanging on that cross, he was a mediator. He was someone that stepped in and intervened on the great conflict. And the great conflict is this. We were deeply separated from the love of God. And no good deeds, no moral behavior could close that gap. There's a deep separation. There was a brokenness, a fragment in our relationship with God, who's supposedly our father, our friend, our creator. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation and where there's two relationships and it just seems like there could be no resolution between the two of them. There's no way that there could be joy and peace found at the end of this conflict. Maybe that comes to some family members. And usually, I don't know about you, but family, and that's like the epicenter of conflict sometimes. I love my family, but there are moments where my heart sinks because I get a phone call. I love my family, but there are moments where I get deep anxiety hearing about a situation that's happening with my mom or my sister. Maybe there are friendships here that have been broken and there's this great divide because of a conflict. Maybe it was 
some issues of bitterness, anger. Maybe there's selfishness on both parts. But even on a human-to-human basis, it's hard to mediate that conflict, to close that gap. But Jesus, as he was on the cross, he mediated that portion for us. He sought a great divide between us and the love of God. He recognized the great divide between the children and the Father. He noticed the great divide between the Creator and the, and the ones that He loves. See, at that cross, Jesus absorbed all the loss. As He died in our place, to resolute the conflict between us and God, he took on everything. All the things that we have done to separate ourselves from God, all the things, all the moments that we rejected him, Jesus closed that gap for us. We were were once removed from friendship with God because of the desires of our hearts. We were once removed from the friendship of God because we desired no friendship with him. But Jesus provided a way and and he, he gave us a preview of what that could look like, the beauty of our relationship with God. See, as Jesus injects conflict, it's not for the sake of just disturbing our peace. Going back to what C.S. Lewis says, Jesus injects that conflict because he wants to show us there is something greater. There's a greater joy than wealth. There's a greater joy than job stability. There's a greater joy than rent control. There are greater joys that we'll never experience just here on earth. But there's, something, there's a God who can give the ultimate peace. Because whatever peace that we find here is a band-aid over that conflict. And sometimes there's that conflict warring in our hearts. There's that brokenness, that deep sadness. Maybe it's that, it's that hopelessness that we feel sometimes. But in the midst of conflict is a thing that Jesus does almost all the time. He reveals himself. For those who are willing, Jesus reveals himself beautiful. And to show why he is the greater choice and how he is the healer of all wounds. And I'm going to ask if the worship team can come up. There's a hymn that maybe some of you may be familiar with. If you're not, it's okay. Um, We're going to kind of sing like a contemporary version of it um, soon. But this original hymn was written by Horatio uh, Spafford in 1871. Uh, And Horatio was a businessman. He lived in Chicago, wealthy man, big family. And during the Chicago fire, he actually lost all his businesses. So he had nothing else to do, nowhere else to go. And an evangelist in London invited him to come be a part of the conference or be part of the the movement. And so he agreed. So him and his family decided, you know what, we're going to travel across the ocean, get to England, and join in on this movement. But he had some business to finish up, so he sent his wife and four daughters ahead. And in the midst of that journey, the boat that his wife and four daughters were on ended up crashing with another boat. In the middle of the ocean, he lost all four daughters in an instant. His wife was the only survivor from his family. And the way he found out was she sent a letter to him. His wife was named Anna. And she wrote, saved alone, what do I do? 
And so eventually he got on a ship with his son to reunite with his, daughter, with his wife. And as they were crossing the ocean, the captain shared, this is approximately where the crash happened. And in that moment, he went back to his cabin and started to write out this hymn. And the first line, the first verse goes like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I'm going to be honest. After losing your entire family, I cannot imagine that those words can come out of a man's lips. Tragedy should result in anger. And not to say that he did not experience loss and grief. But the natural result from deep loss should be confusion and anger. But he wrote this beautiful hymn, It Is Well, It Is Well With My Soul. And it's just a testament that in the deepest moments of conflict and tension and the storms in our hearts, Jesus can enter in and bring peace. No amount of wealth, no amount of possessions, no amount of whatever social status we can achieve can deliver that peace in the midst of conflict. So I encourage us today, whatever pinnacle of conflict we may be involved in, just know Jesus will meet us there. Whatever loss or stormy seas that we may be facing, Jesus will meet us there. Because Jesus met us at the height of a, of a, of a spiritual conflict. Jesus met us at our deepest loss. In the midst of our greatest brokenness, Jesus met us and he says, I'm here. So today, whatever conflict we may be facing, whatever tensions we may be facing in our hearts, do not run. Do not feel like you need to defend yourself and shout. I ask to sit and just sing to your hearts, it is well. Sit in that friendship with Jesus. Sit in that grace and mercy and that comfort he provides. Let him sink into your hearts. Let him speak to your hearts today and deliver you the peace that cannot come apart from himself. Just take a moment to pray. To find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. Thanks to Liz Vice at lizvice.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week.